0: Amen. Amen. Wonderful worship tonight. Thank you so much. Genesis chapter 50 tonight. While you're turning there, just a reminder to the parents, especially of our youth, maybe watching or here tonight, a couple more weeks to sign up for that big fall event. So they really need some more teens to sign up for that. So my son was asking would I do a favor and announced that tonight, and I told him I certainly would do that. Again, next week we start the book of Exodus, so we hope you'll join us, and I hope that the way we end Genesis tonight will actually whet your appetite to continue on with us into the book of Exodus. Also, don't forget Sunday we start our new series in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus. We hope you won't miss that. The book of Genesis, especially the last chapters, the the chapters from 37 to 50 dealing with the life of Joseph, teach us two things. How did Israel get to Egypt? And how does God take this family and make a nation out of them? And that's what we are beginning to see happen, obviously, at the end of Genesis and what we will continue to see happen in the book of Exodus. Something else very interesting that I want us all to just file away and you think about this, because this to me is is deep, and it's not something that I just want to throw out there and then not take the time. I think all of us need to take the time, because God's ways are not our ways, amen? Amen. God chose the nation of Egypt to be the matrix, the womb, if you will, from which he built a nation. Now think about that. You and I would not have chosen that, probably. Isolation, oppression, slavery. God chose Egypt to be the matrix and womb to build something great. Think about that. Genesis chapter 50 divides up into four nice, neat sections, if you will. Here's how I divide the chapter. The first six verses are about Joseph's mourning of his father's death. Then from verse 7 down through verse 13, we have Joseph moving as he leads this tremendous burial procession back to Canaan to bury his father. Then verse 14 through verse 21, we have Joseph's message, a message of reassurance to his brothers and a message of interpreting the dark providences of his life. In fact, I believe that verse 20 is like the high point theologically in the entire book of Genesis, dealing with the sovereignty and providence of God. And then verses 22 through the rest of the chapter is Joseph's mandate to his own family about his own burial. Again, remember from last week, death is not an accident, it's an appointment. At the end of chapter 49, Jacob, Joseph's father, had died and went to be with his people. So we pick it up in chapter 50, verse 1. What is Joseph doing here? He is responding to his father's death. He is mourning his father. It says, Then Joseph hugged his father's face. He wept over him and kissed him. couple things I want to point out in that verse. As powerful as Joseph became, as high of a position as he held on earth. He was the second most powerful person in the most powerful kingdom on earth at this time. And yet, it wasn't his power, it wasn't his position, it wasn't his prestige that meant the most to Joseph. It was the people in his life. I want that to resonate with us. At the end of our life and even through our life, it shouldn't be the things of this world that one day will pass away or pass through our fingers or can be very temporal that we focus on and that we, that we you know, prioritize. It should be people. People. There's only two things that you and I come in contact with on this planet that will fold into eternity. People and the Word of God. Everything else passes away. So our investment in people and our investment in the Word of God are things that are eternal investments. And you see here Joseph prioritizing the relationship that he had with his father. May we prioritize our relationships. Obviously, our relationship with God comes above all others. May we also prioritize other relationships in our life as well. May we also, notice, when we lose these folks, health, healthily express our grief. He wept over him. It's important that we learn to grieve the losses in our life and to do it in a healthy and biblical way. Again, like Paul, we grieve as those who have hope, but we grieve. We grieve. We learn to process our feelings and our emotions. We learn to release them and express them. That is healthy for us. If we don't, then those things that we bottle up will come out at some point, but they'll come out in very destructive, damaging Ways in in ways that, that are not healthy, we need to learn to express those emotions, and part of that is also expressing our love and affection for others. Notice he wept over him and he kissed him. Part of the reason that God gave us the capacity to love or, or is to be loved, but also to love, to receive love and to give love. And in fact, that's what life really is. That's what makes us alive, is being loved and loving. That's why Paul said, now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest, the greatest is love. When you and I are involved in love, Love of God, love of others, whatever. We're involved in the greatest thing, according to God, that we could be involved in. Love. Verse 2. In his morning, Joseph instructed the physicians in his service to embalm his father. This is very interesting. Joseph did not want the professional embalmers to embalm his father. He actually was asking for those who deal more with the living than the dead to embalm his father. This was a very deliberate choice that Joseph made. Why? Because he wanted to bypass all the pagan rites that the professional embalmers of Egypt would have done during their embalming process. He just wanted his father physically embalmed. He didn't want all the ceremony, all the ritual, all the pagan rites, all the dedication to all the Egyptian gods and all that that goes on during the professional embalming. So he asked for the physicians under him to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel or Jacob. They took 40 days, for that is the full time needed for embalming, and the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Now, remember last week I said that as you go through these last couple of chapters of Genesis, one of the other things we have to keep in mind is how Moses is relating this to those in Egypt during his time and how the things that they would hear from him relating these stories of their patriarchs would have been an encouragement to them. And this is one of those instances for this reason a Pharaoh, a Pharaoh, considered a god in Egypt, was only mourned for 72 days. Think about it. Jacob was only mourned for two less days than a Pharaoh was mourned for in Egypt. It shows the honor and the respect that the Egyptians had for Joseph and for his family, and it also showed that God again was ruling and overruling in the kingdoms of men, and he was making sure that his people was being honored before others, even by him. Seventy days, two days short of a Pharaoh. Think about what that would have done to the, or to the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. You mean Jacob? They mourned for him, the Egyptians, for 70 days? Oh, it gets better. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's royal court, If I found favor in your sight, please say to Pharaoh, My father made me swear an oath. He said, I am about to die. Bury me in my tomb that I dug for myself there in the land of Canaan. Now let me go and bury my father, and then I will return So Pharaoh said, go and bury your father just as he made you swear to do. Notice again, part of Joseph's mourning is he is following through with his father's request. He's carrying out his father's instructions, but it's more than that. In carrying out his father's instructions, Joseph is also demonstrating or expressing his own faith in God's promises. If Joseph did not believe in the promises of God, if he personally did not embrace them, he would have never taken the time or the effort and all of that that it took to take his father all the way back to Canaan because it was going to be several months away from Egypt. It was no small trip especially with the entourage, as we're going to see in just a few minutes. So this reminds us of something as well. And that is that we all need to develop our own personal convictions about God and the things of God. They cannot be transferred from one generation to another, from one friend to another, from one person to another. We can influence, but we can't transfer that. We all have to develop our own personal convictions. So, as much as Jacob died in faith, and Jacob had faith at the end of his life in the promises of God, it would have done no good had he placed himself in Joseph's care and Joseph didn't believe. And I think he knew that his son Joseph believed and trusted in God and had a strong faith and a strong relationship with God. And that's one of the reasons why Joseph, who was not the eldest, it was Reuben, was the one that Jacob said, you're now going to be the leader of this family because I see in you a spiritual depth and reality that I don't see in my other sons. And if I'm going to entrust myself in the future of this whole family and this whole nation that God is building to anybody, it's gonna be you, Joseph. It's gonna be you. Some important principles about who we trust things to and entrust things to. We must trust things and entrust things to reliable, dependable, and trustworthy people. So that's Joseph's morning. Then you get to this amazing passage on Joseph moving moving because of his own faith, moving because he wanted to honor his father and carry out his instructions. So beginning in verse 7, Joseph went up to bury his father. But notice this. All Pharaoh's officials went with him, the senior courtiers of his household, all the senior officials of the land of Egypt, all of Joseph's household, his brothers, his father's household. They left their little children and their flocks and herds in the land of Goshen, but everybody else went. Chariots and horsemen also went up with them. So it was a very large entourage. Can you imagine? I mean, miles long this thing would have been. And again, think about, as Moses is relating this to the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt, how even this, again, would have been. You mean there was a day in Egypt? where our people was so honored by the Egyptians that when Jacob died, basically all of Egypt mourned, and they were part of the burial procession. They actually helped Joseph, our ancestor. That's amazing. And God was using what happened back in Genesis to encourage his people in Egypt, even then through Moses, to say, I'm telling you, you got to trust in me because Egypt is not your final destination. The promised land is your final destination, and I'm going to get you there. Don't stay in Egypt. Trust me to get you out of Egypt. Because even the word exodus means the way out, the road out, departure, or obviously you look at the first two words of exodus and you see the word exit. That's what God was getting ready to do. Something else I want to point out. In these verses, you see this phrase. Verse 7, went with him. Verse 9, went up with him. They were there, in a sense, to mourn with those who were mourning. They were there by the side of those who were going through the valley of the shadow of death. They were there with them when they were going through a very difficult and hard time. You and I need to have a few people in our life that when it's a hard time, it's a difficult time, it's a dark time, it's a time of loss, whatever, that we know they will be with us. They will stand with us. They will be by our side. We can count on them. They will mourn with us just as they will rejoice with us. And you and I need to be that for others. We need to make sure that there's others that know that they can count on us to be with them, not just in the good times, not just when everything's going well, but in times like this. I so appreciate it. And I know that's the heart of our church the heart of our people, to see so many people rally around Megan and Elliot on Saturday. To see so many people from our church here. Even some that didn't know them that well, but you just wanted to show your support. That, that makes me so proud to be the pastor of a church like that. Because to me, that's, that's the kind of people God is looking for. Those, again, that rejoice with those who are rejoicing and who are willing to weep, those who are willing to carry and bear one another's burdens. Even the Egyptians were doing that for the Israelites. Verse 10, when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, on the other side of the Jordan, they mourned there with a very great and bitter sorrow. There Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. So now a total of 77 days. Seventy because that was what the Egyptians wanted to do to honor Joseph and, in a sense, honor Jacob. Only two days short of mourning for Pharaoh. And then they come to this place in Canaan where the culture, if you will, is to mourn for seven days. In fact, as I was studying this, very interesting, I came across some articles that even to this day in certain places in Syria they mourn for their dead at a threshing floor for seven days. I mean, think how long this practice then has been going on. Thousands of years, this practice. And that's what Joseph did. When the Canaanites, verse 11, who lived in the land, saw them mourning at the threshing floor of Atat, they said, this is a very sad occasion for the Egyptians. This is why its name was called Abel Mizoram, which is beyond the Jordan. So the sons of Jacob did for him just as he had instructed them. His sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah near Mamre. This is the field that Abraham purchased as a burial plot from Ephron the Hittite. And again, as I said last week, I want to repeat this. God used a burial site to give his people hope. And this would not be the only time There would be an empty tomb that was given to us that is a place of hope for us as well. God is reminding his people that their future is not in Egypt. It's over here. It's over here. And God is wanting to remind us of that every day. He is trying to say to us today, your future is not this world. This isn't your future. This isn't your home. You need to live here. Yes, you need to navigate here. But but you need to keep your eyes on your future home because your home and your citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3:20. From which we look for a savior from there. That's where we've got to keep our hope. You see? That's where we've got to plant our focus and our attention. Just as God did with the people of the Old Testament, God does the same thing with the New. He tries to lift our eyes beyond our present reality and to have us live in the hope of what's to come because, again, for us as God's people, the best is always yet to come. As I've said many times, for us as God's people, this is the only hell we will ever know, and for those who reject the love of God in their life, this is the only heaven they will ever know. So we've seen Joseph mourning and we've seen Joseph moving. Now I want you to see Joseph's message. After he buried his father, Joseph returned, verse 14, to Egypt along with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to bury his father. And notice what happens. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge and wants to repay us in full for all the harm we did to him? Notice, after all this time and after Joseph had reassured them and and given them a banquet and, and given them all this provision over the years and took care of them and their families through the famine and all this, that his brothers were still haunted by what they had done to him. This is a cautionary tale for us. There are some things that we do or could do in our life that is so grievous, so full of hate and anger and bitterness that it can haunt us for years and years and years. Even though We're reassured by God that it's been forgiven and reassured by maybe others that it's okay and all of that. It's still, it's that process of of coming to grips with the fact of what we have done maybe in our past and being able to release it and, and let it go and not have it hang like a cloud over our head. They were still dealing with this. So they sent word to Joseph, and this is very interesting. I don't see any evidence at all that Jacob ever said this. I actually think that this was concocted by Joseph's brothers out of fear. Again, it reminds us how fear can make us do things that that we would never normally do, and how fear, in a sense, even compounds a problem by adding another sin of making something up to something that we're already haunted by, but because of our fear, we just keep sort of piling on. Your father gave these instructions before he died. Tell Joseph this. Please forgive the sin of your brothers and the wrong they did when they treated you so badly. Now, please forgive the sin of the servants of the God of your father. I think they're just making stuff up. But again, we know, what if they were afraid? They were afraid that after the father was gone, boy, Joseph's hammer was going to come down on them. That's what fear does. Fear causes us to do things we would never do. And notice Joseph's reaction to this. When Joseph heard this, he wept. You know, there's some times in the Bible where you wish God gave you a little bit more. This is one of those times. So God, tell me specifically why he wept. Was he weeping because once again he realized all the pain that his family had went through because of all the wrongs that they had done to each other? Is that why he was weeping? Was he weeping because he was brokenhearted hearted? that after all he had said and all he had done, his brothers still didn't receive his forgiveness, if you will, and and, and didn't let it go. We we don't know. All we know is that he was brokenhearted and he started to weep when he heard that this is what his brothers were saying and, and the message that they wanted to relay. Then his brothers also came and threw themselves down before him and said, here we are, we're your slaves. And here comes Joseph's message. I think one of the most tremendous messages in all the word of God. He gives them four reassurances here in this message. First of all, he answered them and he says, don't be afraid. And notice he repeats that in verse 21. So we know that fear was driving them. Driving what they did, driving what they said. It wasn't faith, it was fear. And Joseph recognized it. And Joseph is saying to his own brothers, stop being afraid, stop being fearful. We all need to hear that. Because we have a choice every day of either saying things or doing things out of fear or saying or doing things out of faith. And the Bible clearly says, whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Fear or faith? Joseph says, don't be afraid. And then here's his first reassurance. He says, verse 19, am I in the place of God? literally am i instead of god basically joseph saying i'm staying in my lane i'm not your judge god is i'm not going to play judge that's god and paul even amplifies this point in the book of romans he says give place for god's wrath for vengeance is mine god says I'll repay if something needs to be repaid. So then Paul goes on to say, so if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Good. That should be the response because when we stay in our lane, we let judgment and and passing sentences on people up to God. We don't seek vengeance That's God's place, and that's what Joseph said. I'm staying in my lane, brothers. I'm not getting in God's lane. That's above my pay grade. Two, and this is to me, again, the highest theological point in the whole book of Genesis. As for you, verse 20, you meant to harm me. So notice, Joseph doesn't downplay what his brothers did. He doesn't say, "Oh, it, what you did was no big deal." No, he he recognized. Look, you guys wanted to hurt me. There's no question about that. I'm not minimizing what you did, but by not minimizing what they did, he's maximizing the providence and sovereignty of God. Because notice what he says: "But God." Oh, they might be two of the most important words throughout the Bible. You have a situation, but God. God always makes the difference in every situation. It changes our perspective, it changes our mindset, it changes everything. When we invite God into a situation or a circumstance, Everything changes, but God. He always makes the difference. And Joseph is declaring, but God intended it for a good purpose. Not that what you did to me was good, but like Paul says, God was able to bring about something good out of it. What was that? That by bringing me to Egypt, he could place me in a position where I could preserve through his leadership the lives of many people, as you all can see to this day. In a sense, what Joseph is declaring here is that God is sovereign. He rules and he overrules what people do. And that's as clear a statement of the sovereignty and providence of God as you will find anywhere in Scripture, Old or New Testament, Genesis fifty twenty. And why is it important to have that perspective? Because without that perspective, any one of us are prone to bitterness think about it anything bad that happens to us especially that others do to us like happened to joseph if we truly do not believe that god rules and overrules that that he's sovereign that he's providential over our life and over every circumstance and situation of our life, if we don't trust that and believe that, we'll become bitter. And that's why Joseph never became bitter, because he trusted the providence of God. Trust in God is the only antidote for bitterness. You show me someone, even a Christian, who's become bitter, and I will show you someone who lacks faith in God. They have no belief, no trust in God at all. I mean, maybe their head says, yeah, I, I believe or I trust in God. But remember, faith has to come from the heart, not just the head. All right, let's move on. Third, verse 21, next reassurance. So, all right, now, don't be afraid. I'm not only forgiving you, I'm going to be generous. And continue to be generous. I'm going to sustain you, support you, and nourish you and your children while you're here. I'm going to provide for you. I'm I'm going to do more than maybe you even could expect. Again, Joseph is such a type of of Jesus who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could You know, beyond our expectations, Joseph says, not only am I going to stay in my lane and not take God's place, But I see all the dark providences in my life as part of God's plan and God's purpose and God ruling and all of that in my life. And so I'm trusting in him to work it all out. And third, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to continue to bless you, just as Paul said to the Romans. And then notice this. Finally, he consoled or comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now also as I've said a couple times up to this point, think of how even this message that the people of Israel were hearing through Moses that came from Joseph's lips would have encouraged them in their day. As they began to think about their ancestor Joseph, and all the hardship and suffering and pain that he went through, and yet he trusted in God through it all. They're now in Egypt. They're enslaved. They see no way out. They see at this point no deliverer because Moses hasn't delivered them yet. And Moses is relaying these stories, and it's beginning to give them some kind of hope Some kind of encouragement, some kind of comfort, because they're hearing about the fact that their ancestor was mourned just two days less than a pharaoh's mourn, that their ancestor was mourned over the whole nation of Egypt, that the Egyptians were part of the burial procession, the honor guard for Jacob, that Joseph just kept trusting in the providences of God and the sovereignty of God in the midst of all that he was going through, and God is using these messages even from Joseph hundreds of years later to the people of Israel to encourage them and strengthen their faith. And then finally, Joseph's mandate. Joseph lived in Egypt, verse 22, along with his father's family. Joseph lived 110 years. He saw descendants to the third generation. He saw his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great-great-grandchildren. And you know how the Bible tells us that, you know, our grandchildren, and great they can be such a blessing to us and that that's one of the blessings that God gives to those who make it to that age, and Joseph certainly enjoyed that as well. But something else very interesting here, as I was studying this, I came across some things about ancient Egypt that, that just struck me the Egyptians believed that the ideal age to sort of live to was, guess what? 110. So even in that, God is honoring his faithful follower in the midst of others. By letting Joseph live to that ideal age and then dying at 110, the Egyptians would have thought, whoa. He died at the ideal age of 110. That's really cool. Only God, obviously, because death, again, is not an accident. It's an appointment. Then Joseph said to his brothers, verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to you. Notice Joseph repeats this phrase in verse 25. God will surely come to you. The phrase in the Hebrew means God will visit you with his grace. I love that. Joseph is saying, God's going to come and visit you with grace and lead you up from this land to the land he swore an oath to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph, verse 25, made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to you, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and they embalmed his body and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Hang in there with me. I just have a couple more things. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of fame of faith, we are given sort of the supreme expressions of faith of the patriarchs. And listen to what God chose for Joseph. Hebrews 11:22. By faith Joseph at the end of his life mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions about his burial. Now think about it. Out of all the supreme things that Joseph did in his whole life, God chose this to be what he put as Joseph's supreme expression of faith. That there would be an exodus one day. That Egypt would not be the final place. It shows the value that God places on us looking ahead and living even, you know, beyond what we are going to experience ourselves on this earth. He values that because he's saying that's where your hope is and that's what Joseph was expressing. A couple other things, very interesting. Notice in verse 26 the very last phrase of the book in a coffin in Egypt. This book begins in a garden and ends in a coffin. That's supposed to say something to us. It's supposed to tell us what sin has done. That here was this beautiful garden that God had created at the beginning. This is the way God wanted it to be. But when sin came in, oh my, we have seen the effects of sin in all these families, right, through our study of Genesis and how sin has just ravaged and wrecked lives over and over again and how you have this garden at the beginning and you have a coffin at the end. But though Joseph was dead, his witness was still going on. All those hundreds of years, that the people of God were enslaved in Egypt, there lay Joseph's bones. And just like that burial place in Canaan was a place of hope, Joseph's bones, his coffin, his embalmed body was a place of hope. As they looked at Joseph's bones, they were reminded, you know what? Our ancestor believed that he was going to be out of here one day. This wasn't his final resting place. And that's why he's not buried here. That's why why they didn't build a pyramid to him or some tomb in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. That's why he was always on top of the ground in Egypt instead of below the ground in some respect. Because Joseph died in faith, and his life and his words and his legacy continued to be a witness and an evidence of his faith Way past the time he was gone. In fact, Joseph is still inspiring and blessing us today. Because what have we been doing the last 13 weeks in going through the life of Joseph? We are allowing this man who lived thousands of years ago to inspire and bless us. And I want to leave that with you tonight as an encouragement that When you and I live for God, even when we die and go to be with him in glory in heaven, we can leave such a tremendous legacy that our influence and our impact can last for generations upon generations. Again, the investment that we make in people, not things, in people, and then all the lives that they touch and all of that, it ripples out like a pebble being thrown in a lake, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. The name of the godly will endure forever, God says, but the name of the wicked will perish. Listen, Exodus begins with the names of the patriarchs. Why does Exodus begin with the names of the patriarchs? Because God wants us to know. Exodus is just a continuation of Genesis. And so I hope that you all will stay with me and maybe we'll even get some more people to travel along with us into this tremendous book because I believe that the story of the Exodus and the story of Moses is the most profound and most significant story in the entire Old Testament. And I have so enjoyed studying this to share this book with you. And I can't wait till we can come back next week and dive into it. Father, we thank you tonight that we can trust you, God. We can rely upon you. We can depend upon you. And even, Lord, as Nicole prayed, Lord, when we're going through it, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. But, Lord, we all come out the other side because you're faithful And when we do, we can trace your hand of providence. We we can see, Lord, how you've ordered our steps. And we can see, like Joseph, how you have designed everything to be for your glory and for our ultimate benefit. May we be like Joseph. And when we begin to interpret the dark providences in our own life, may we trust you, God. May we realize over and over again that you are sovereign, that you rule, and that you overrule in the kingdom of men. And we can rest in that, and we can trust in that until we see you face to face. God, be with us the rest of this week. Give us a great ending to this week and and get us ready, God, with great anticipation and expectation to come into your house on Sunday, ready to worship and ready to start a new series in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.